We're back with another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Drashinsky, culture editor here at The Federalist. As always, you can email the show at radio at thefederalist.com. Follow us on Twitter at FDRLST. Make sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts as well. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Christopher Bedford, senior editor at The Federalist. He's also over at Right Forge. Chris, thanks so much for taking the time today. Lucky you. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're here on uh, the anniversary of January 6th, which uh, the media is the media is taking their cue directly from the Democratic Party and playing up um, almost as though it were, as Steve Schmidt and Matthew Dowd have both claimed, worse than 9-11. Um, A date that will live in 9-11 infamy. So Chris and I were both uh, reporting from the riot itself. Um, we both were on Capitol Hill, as we've mentioned many times on this podcast uh, since last January 6th, because the left continues to force us to have this conversation. But Chris, if they want to have a conversation about January 6th, I'm increasingly uh, happy to have a conversation about everything they've done, everything they've used January 6th, shamefully used January 6th, a day when people did die, um, to Person. It, it, their institutional, well, I said a, a day when people did die, like not because- there was one person shot there. Right. And there have been several suicides. And I'm not saying that we know definitively they were because of it. I'm saying it was a day when people died because of, it was a tragedy. Um, and there was a Trump supporter who was shot. And we still don't have answers about that. It was a tragic day, no matter how you spin it. Um, the scale of the tragedy is a different question. It is certainly not worse than 9 11. Um, but it's completely laughable that it could be. But Democrats are fundraising off of this right now. Uh, they're, ho- they're hosting tonight on CNN a a, uh, a a voice America's Voice style like reality show from Statuary Hall, which is a place where, by the way, you need the permission. Uh, you need you need cap- the capital permission to even record. I mean, members have not been able to do interviews there due to COVID. But of course, right now tonight, CNN's allowed to do a whole America's America's Got Talent show there about January sixth. And the reason is it's because one theater is more important than the other theater. So COVID gets trumped. The Democrats and the CNN get to do this. Um, meanwhile, you'll notice that most most Democratic congressmen and senators are not here. No. There's very few of them here because this is not something that really matters to their constituents. They're just going to let their lapdogs in the media run on this one. They're going to let them take care of it. They're going to Nancy Pelosi out there, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, and everyone else is kind of just shying away because I think they don't, they don't, they don't need Jerry Nadler to like waddle up to the microphone. I think that might take away from the solemnity of it. Uh, instead, they're going to have CNN do all the hard lifting for them. MSNBC, CBS, the New York Times, the Washington Post. And you've seen that all week. And we've, we've known it was coming. We've known it was coming the whole time. I think Molly Hemingway had a really good point in her piece this week at the Federalist that was saying this was Nancy Pelosi's commission. Yep. She tried to take something that was, like you said, because we were both there, an awful day. Mm-hmm. And she tried to turn it into immediately political so she could try to hold on to her chamber in 2022. She's done a terrible job. This entire reboot of Nancy Pelosi has been largely unsuccessful. <laughs> she this does not this this January 6th does not not only does not have uh, a real hold in the American people's imagination outside of NPR listeners, but there are Republicans like Ron DeSantis we saw today who are just openly mocking it. The Babylon Bee is just openly mocking Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez trying to make this whole day uh, just an assassination attempt against her, uh, which means that they've overreached. They're trying to do their. They're trying to do their whole councils or the, 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 their whole uh, commission on it next uh, this coming year mm-hmm. on on prime time. 
which shows like, why would you ever do live television on primetime? You let them just take the clips and run it. They're just bungling every aspect of this. It's not showing electorally. And it's just, it's, it, it's symptomatic of Nancy Pelosi's theater and bad politics this round. But there's one thing that I am thankful for today, aside from, you know, epiphany. It's actually, which is what I'm celebrating today, not the riot. But they didn't put the fence back up. Mm-hmm. And I really thought they were going to put the fence back up. I thought there was going to be National Guard on my road again. Well, so that's something that's actually pretty infuriating. Um, and I'm not saying they should have put a fence up, but they have not fixed any of the like obvious. And Ben pointed this out in his piece. Investigations have uncovered failures on the law enforcement side and on House Democrats who were in control on that day on their side of the, the serious security breaches, the mistakes that law enforcement made that enabled this uh, protest to turn into a riot. Now, the rioters are to blame for that, not the police, but there were clearly failures, um, security yeah, failures. These insane interviews we've seen with Capitol Police officers who are usually just badge checkers saying, when I signed up to protect the Capitol, I never envisioned that I would be protecting the Capitol. It's like, it was it was a complete failure. I, I remember seeing it after Ashley Babbitt got shot. I was right outside the door in the north, uh, the, the, the house side, uh, West, uh, East, excuse me, the and seeing the police officers attempting to shut the door. They couldn't figure out how to shut the Capitol door. Right. Uh, seeing one lone Hispanic female officer fighting against men who were like three times her size. Right. Well, the big Capitol police officer stood behind her and watched. And Molly Ball, like he was like not remotely as smart as she's given credit for, was... Well, as fair as she's getting credit for. I'm reading her fair. Pelosi book right now, and it's unbelievable. No, she's, she's a fraud. She's another one of those, uh, one of those products of, of, the, of the Koch Institute. I remember, I've actually been to Koch Institute galas where she was a speaker as, a, as some kind of a fair person. Are you kidding me? Nope. Nope, they brag about her. She, uh, she came out and she almost touched the truth, like just for a second, in this long, stupid thread that was classic, <laughs> like, you know it's going to be something stupid if a reporter starts a thread with, actually, I've thought a lot about this. Everything after that's going to be dumb. It's just like her time story where she talks about the well-funded campaign to uh, rig the election. Well, yeah, it's, ac- it's accidentally a, she just stumbled, sort of stumbles into stumbles it. onto this like, grave injustice. So she accidentally stumbled onto, I'm starting to wonder if maybe this was a failure of the police. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, but then you read the next 10 tweets and it's like, because the police were secretly Trump insurrectionists. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting there looking at the Capitol Police for us, I'm thinking... I'm sure some of them are Republican. I'm sure some of them are Democrat. I'm sure some of them don't give a darn. But that was not Trump insurrection. It was just bad policing. I have two points. First, I just, we can get into this later, but quickly, you said a lot of people outside the Beltway don't care about January 6th or the sort of like hysterics and histrionics about January 6th. I think it's absolutely true. I also don't think we should dismiss the fact that corporate media has conditioned a whole lot of people to see this as um, a mass tragedy event. Um, And so I think that's something that people have to deal with and that will have to be dealt with as they do this show trial on primetime over the course of the next year. At the same time, I do think this raises the question about the marriage of the Democratic Party, not you know just the ideological left, but specifically the Democratic Party and the legacy media, which, and I've said this so many times, every time I look up at MSNBC, I keep it on the background, in the background as I work, they, I'm, they're replaying clips of January 6th. I mean, I swear, it's almost every time I look up over the course of the past year when all of these other things were going on, a pandemic continuing, um, you have all, like the economy, all of over. these things. Don't cook. 
Okay. Um, but well, the pandemic economy is still hurting people, uh, supply chains, et cetera, et cetera, uh, because of mismanagement and because of the corrupt establishment. So you have all of this, all of these legitimate stories. And I just look up the screen every time it's January 6th. And where we started this conversation, I was saying, yeah, I'm happy to talk more and more about January 6th because it has been used by an institutionally corrupt elite they are they are corrupt across the institutional board and then they write stories like in Politico about how Kevin McCarthy and all of these people in the aftermath of January 6 condemned Trump condemned the riot which of course they did they have continued to condemn the riot why would they now suddenly still be why over the course of the past year have they warmed up to Trump again well, it's because you have spent the last year using January 6th to uh, facilitate more and more institutional corruption, to label more people as domestic they extremists. They call it an insurrection, <laughs> what was clearly a riot. And, and, and as far as I'm concerned, that is the, that is another hoax, just like the Russia hoax, just like the Ukraine hoax, yeah, it's, the, it's the, insurrection. the insurrection hoax. Um, the, and, and, they, and they even use COVID to destroy their own cities to help stop the president. They're completely, completely insane. And I'm, I'm totally sick of it. And it, they, it's, it's a much more powerful thing that the left has is their alliance with the yes. media than the right has. It's, it's but scale. it does have echoes of some, the problem when it happens when a political party follows the media. Like, remember Benghazi? Like the yeah. most important thing on the freaking planet for the Republican Party when Barack Obama was president was Benghazi because Fox News thought it was the most important thing. So they were chasing that. Another so legitimate tragedy. It was another legitimate yeah. strategy, but I got news here. People don't vote on it. Right. Nobody was like no one who was voting because of Benghazi attack was going to vote Democrat. And no one is going to vote, you know, based on this January 6th commission. No one's going to change their vote based on that. It's so it's just an echo chamber. But it, you can't – politicians – like it's, it's awful enough already that so much of the media – and this is legitimate – has to chase clicks. I remember working at the Daily Caller. We did a poll of our readers, which I've talked about on here before. The Daily Caller of Kardashian slideshows, yeah, which I clicked on all so, the time. We did a poll. It's like, what do you care most about? Taxation, corruption, the economy, uh, <laughs> pop culture, like celebrity controversy. And people would all say taxes and corruption. That's all. The poll would overwhelmingly be that. But guess what? I worked for the company. I saw what you clicked on, Jashinsky, and it wasn't it taxation was, or corruption. It Kate was Upton. Kate Upton. It absolutely was. The So... When the politicians start to follow the media, which are already following that model, then we are in we are in uh, Idiotville or what's the name of that that, that movie? Idiocracy. Well, Idiocracy. Idiotville. That's a small town version. <laughs> well, it, it, there's this line about uh, you know how the right, and we were just getting into this how the how the right excuses January six or downplays January six, and it's like you have this massive scale, just about every institution in the country, the ruling party, the White House, Congress, pretty much every major legacy media outlet, pretty much every corporation that is ideologically, culturally at least aligned with you on January six. So yeah, people on the right are going to spend their time documenting and arguing against the BS that you have used the strategy to facilitate over the course of the last year, expanding the surveillance state. This is something that does actually materially affect the lives of people, um, setting crazy precedents in the way you're treating prisoners. Um, you can go on down the line. They've done so much ridiculous stuff, as Molly pointed out, using January 6th to justify rigging the voting system. Um, do you 
you, again, like this is they have used this as an as an excuse to ignore legitimate security problems. And we knew that was going to happen from the day that we left that that riot. Since yeah. I mean, I think was yeah. it the Atlantic or, or no? It was uh, it was the week had a cover the week before the election of 2016 that had a mob of torch-bearing, MAGA-hat-wearing people, and it was predicting the awful riots that were going to follow Donald Trump losing to Hillary Clinton. Now, that never happened. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump won. And what instead we saw were riots that lasted for four years of his presidency, starting off smaller and larger. But, I mean, my date and I were chased uh, through the streets uh, on inauguration night. I had to walk through the city back and forth multiple times. And we were chased because she was in a dress. So they knew that we were out there at the, one of the inaugural events. The Those riots never went away. They were encouraged. That they were me. pushed. They were completely. I was chasing you. You were chasing me? Yeah, I would never. <laughs> There's a, it was a lot of skinny-armed people who were shorter than me, but like it was a lot. Of yeah. Them. yeah. <laughs> so no, seriously. There they with... torched the city, and it's been completely erased from the media's memory. They torched D.C. They were throwing bricks at Starbucks, setting things on fire. It was all the left. And, and then we saw the White House riots where they had they had <laughs> guillotines, <laughs> paper-shaped guillotines in front of the White House where they were cutting off the president's head with blood splurting. Um, my, one of my very good friends and, and, and neighbor, he and his girlfriend had to run for their lives. Multiple congressmen were assaulted. Rand Paul and his wife were, was it, were attacked. They, it was it was freaky. People had to get into, pretend to be in motorcades. I have another good friend who, her and her husband, Secret Service said, we can't protect you. Drive your truck right behind ours. Yeah. And they had yep. to get through. And this was all cheered on. And then, you know, we get to January 6th. And I'm sitting there thinking, son of a gun, you finally did it. You finally did what they wanted you to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here's a right wing riot. And you've just given you've just taken the platform. You've kicked out the platform underneath yourself and tied the noose and given the left wing uh, the hangman's noose to to use against you forever. And if you think that they're not going to make this uh, the biggest religious holiday, I mean, it's, it's, it's even outshines Juneteenth. It's the biggest holiday in the left wing calendar. Well, and this is exactly what they are now condemning Sean Hannity and whoever else has texts that they have uncovered through this ridiculous partisan witch hunt um and that's exactly what they were saying behind the scenes and you were on ingram that night and laura ingram is one of the people whose texts were revealed who's been accused of being two-faced when in fact she said the same thing in both situations was it the new york times that claimed that laura ingram pretended that it was an antifa false flag because molly and i were on her show and that's the opposite of what we said right and people <laughs> did say like listen there were some suspicious people who didn't seem like trump supporters in the crowd like a pipe bomber and i said and i don't know what you said, but I said over and over again that day, I was like, yeah, I mean, I didn't see Antifa attacking the Capitol, but I did see some weird people there. But no, this was Trump supporters. And that continues to be true. And everything that Laura Ingram said, yeah, well, there's that too. A lot of suspicious Um, Trump supporters who disappeared and were never charged. Continues. But yeah. And again, this is something that if they really cared, the legacy media would be spending their resources investigating because it's been left to like Revolver News and Tucker. um, And there are some really legitimate things uncovered as a result of what they have done. And another the neighbor of mine had to had to censors. evacuate his office because there was a bomb there. And they want to censor it. The media wants to censor it. Like they don't even want to, t- not only are they not looking into it, they actually want to shut Tucker down for asking those questions. And this is like, again, this gets to the whole larger question. It's like, well, why 
legacy media, do you think that Republicans who were upset about January 6th and do think that Trump saying on that morning that he had a landslide win that was being stolen from him, they were upset about that then, why do you think they have warmed back up to Trump? Because he's the blunt force tool that will actually, first of all, talk about all this without hesitation. They feel like he is the only vehicle to tackle the institutional corruption of the left, which is on a wildly different scale. politicians think that? No, I think that's what Republican voters think. And I do think there are some Republican politicians Very who think few. that. But you know who I'm talking about. Right after, right after January 6th, when Trump was taken off of Twitter, there was only a single senator who even wrote to Twitter. But I'm saying in the years since that. About it, yeah. No, I'm saying in the years since that, people have seen on the right, people have seen what the left has used January 6th to do. And we just talked about all of that. And they've said... <laughs> Yeah, the, I do Trump think a lot of Republican politicians are thinking, thank goodness Donald Trump got put away by Twitter. They were totally thinking that at the time. They were thinking... I still think that. I think people like Glenn Youngkin are like kind of excited about it. They took a sigh... Of, they, they had a sigh of relief on January 6th, seriously, because they thought, okay, this is it for Trump. Um, and then over the course of the last year, they saw voters making this cost-benefit analysis. So like, hey, yeah, January 6th sucked. But this is the only object to tackling the institutional corruption that is getting worse because of January 6th. Is January 6th is being exploited to further abuse the powers of all of these entities. And yeah, people are... Why do you think, media, that people are looking at Donald Trump? Why do you think people voted for Donald Trump instead of the former Secretary of State, a corrupt person? It's the same thing. It's the same cost-benefit analysis, and they still don't understand it. And, and they've never understood it. Just talking to a mutual friend of ours who used to be a CNN reporter, I was talking about she used to cover the rallies, for example. Now, we, they had to cover a lot of rallies. They were always in the air. They always go in there. But when the Federalists would go to cover rallies, at least when I would go and some other reporters would go, we'd find, like, learn about the town, figure out what's going on in this town. I remember going to Latrobe, Pennsylvania, and being like, all right, this was a beer manufacturing mm-hmm. town. The beer company got bought. Latrobe, Rolling Rock got bought by an international company. Latrobe Brewing Company was then moved out of Latrobe to New Jersey or Philadelphia, and it decimated the local economy. It caused a lot of truck problems. This was a place where the NFL was found. So we went to like the local tavern and talked to the bartenders, tried to get a scene for the place, talked to the police officers, went to the crowd. I always try to go to like the oldest restaurant. And, and I, well, I am a drinker, as you always make fun of me for. I sit at the bar because you could talk to people at a bar. It's really weird to walk up to someone at a That's table. That's why you do it? And talk to them. <laughs> That's my excuse. They're sitting there drinking beers. They're actually kind of interested in talking to you. The, in some towns, the... And like learned about what is what is making these people want to be here. Seeing the older women who had tears coming down their eyes when President Trump pulled up in his airplane because mm-hmm. it was the most exciting thing that had happened to them in years. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, the CNN reporter they, they was not allowed to talk to people because they thought her safety was at risk. She wasn't allowed to go into the crowd. She didn't know anything about the town. This is not her fault. This is her producer's fault. This is the fault of the company. This is the fault of the that won't, won't let them do this. And they're not trying no, to tell the, the story. No, it's the fault of Donald Trump. They're not trying to tell the story about Latrobe. They're not trying to tell the story of the voters there. And because of that, they don't understand anything. They've been for five years at these rallies, at these events, in these towns, on these people, seeing places that have been decimated by drugs, places that have been decimated by globalization, and seeing people who are fervent and they're saying what could motivate them beside hate and it's just it's so dumb and it's intentionally dumb and occasionally they'll venture out of the cocoon like we've seen uh, Rachel Maddow look like Chris Hayes going through recently on Twitter saying why have we never even talked about the pipe bomber yep why have we never talked about it what do you think that skinny armed little uh, Antifa dude who put a pipe bomb there I guess it doesn't fit the narrative it's not even part of the commission and you know good for him for wondering that 
But also, it actually kind of makes me like, make, do I like him more or less to realize, like, he's never really thought about this before. Yep. It was obvious from day one why they didn't care about the pipe bomber. Because there was an Antifa guy, very likely, attacking the RNC. So, and the DNC, right? There, and the DNC yeah. as well. Um, and so, th- this the CNN case study, I think, is extremely useful for the purpose that it's a great illustration of how institutions like CNN have latched onto Trump as an excuse not to do their damn jobs. And it's the it's same too, thing. It's too dangerous. Well, yeah, yeah, right? Like, we, we <laughs> can't talk reporter. to, we can't talk to Trump voters who are wearing fanny packs and have, like, reporters uh, risk their lives every children day. No, with they don't. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it's like, it's moms. It's soccer moms. Like we can't talk to them because it's too dangerous because Trump poisons them against CNN. And it's like, are there some Trump supporters who have legitimate grievances against CNN? Uh, yes, but and also might take that too far. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yes. The, the Grown ass adult reporters can take care of themselves. It's their damn job to do it. They always compare themselves to war correspondents. Uh, Firefighters. They're too brave to actually go into the crowds at Trump events. And the, I, I, I've said this from the very beginning because I've been in the press pit multiple times. It's not like I can say, hey, guys, I'm on your team. You know, I'm, I'm a I'm in the federal, so I'm not a crazy left winger. But they they they're chanting CNN sucks, CNN sucks with huge smiles on their faces. It's like it's really the best comparison is if you go to the medieval fair and like people are booing the Black Knight. <laughs> the Renaissance Fair. The Renaissance Fair. It's a super fun taken. I'll, I'll challenge you to an axe throwing contest and a mead drinking contest this fall. Let's do it. You're the, gonna win. <laughs> I only challenge people to games. I'm gonna win. <laughs> well, you can pick another one too. The Real Housewives but, trivia. <laughs> At the Renaissance Fair. Yeah. <laughs> so, but people boo the Black Knight there. And, like, it takes a really demented person to, like, be actually angry at the Black Knight. Like, maybe there are, because it is a Renaissance Fair, but it's like, people are smiling, they boo, and they're cheering the White Knight when they have the Jesse matches. The, that, that's, that's what it felt like. Uh, to be at the Trump rallies. People were booing because it was fun. It but was they're also mad at CNN. Well, they think CNN sucks, but like yeah. the most demented one there is going to say, like, let's go Brandon on television. They're not going <laughs> to attack the reporter. Like, it's completely insane. When did we decide to stop upholding free speech as a basic right? What's playing out right now at big tech companies and social media sites sets a dangerous precedent. Look, it doesn't matter what your politics are or who you voted for everyone should have the right to express themselves freely. Sadly, the big tech monopoly has instead opted for silencing tactics and censorship. To fight back against big tech's control of the internet, I use ExpressVPN. Ever wondered how free-to-access tech giants make all their money? Well, by tracking your searches, video history, and everything you click on. By building a profile on you and then selling off your sensitive data. When you use the ExpressVPN app on your computer or phone, you anonymize much of your online presence by hiding your IP address. That makes your activity more difficult to trace and sell to advertisers. What's more, ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of your network data to protect you from eavesdroppers and cyber criminals. What I like most is how easy it is to use. It just takes one click to protect all your devices. That's why ExpressVPN is rated number one by Business Insider. So let's stop allowing big tech to revoke our rights to free speech. Why not revoke their right to your data instead? Secure your internet with the VPN I trust for online protection. Visit expressvpn.com slash federalist. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash federalist to get three extra months free with my exclusive link. Go to expressvpn.com slash federalist, expressvpn.com slash federalist right now to learn more. 
<laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I, I think that's true, but it's a like that's why I like that example because it is really a good uh, case study or illustration of how that's been the excuse since 2015 and 2016. Why don't they just green screen themselves? Well, so listen, it's like Glenn Youngkin, right? So, and, and that's a good example of Na- Nancy Pelosi's primetime strategy, the folly of it as well. And this is counterproductive for Democrats, by the way. Like they don't understand that. They continue to not understand that. But this pro time, this primetime show trial that they're trying to put on with January 6th, it's exactly the same mistake they made in Virginia with creating this election's main theme as, or making this election's main theme, Donald Trump and January 6th. All of these things in Charlottesville that voters don't materially affect voters' lives. Voters don't feel like they material materially affect their lives, and I think with some good reason. Why don't they just look at CNN's ratings to realize that's not going to work anymore? It's not. It re- I mean, it really. And so then you have them continuing to do this. And with Glenn Youngkin, after Glenn Youngkin won, you saw this this fleeting moment on CNN where Van Jones and some other folks said. Well, oh gosh, you know, maybe we're getting this wrong. Maybe we shouldn't be smearing everybody as racists. And then the next day it was just like, everybody is racist. Like Glenn Youngkin won because of racism. Like they have these brief moments of introspection, but then they latch on to this nonsense, uh, this this nonsense creation of Republican racism um, and Republican bigotry to uh, paper over all of the legitimate problems they actually have to deal with. And it makes everything so much worse because they are smearing decent people and they're making them more and more angry. And uh, instead of dealing with that, they just keep making it so much worse i just don't think i don't think they get it i don't think they understand it i don't think they've understood it from the very beginning they're afraid to go outside of their bubble to talk to people and when they go do go outside of their bubble to talk to people it's because they already have pre-written articles they've already got preconceived notions over what they're going to find uh you know it if you want to pull over and like and, and at, the, at the stand of the guy in Michigan who's selling Trump Rambo flags and Trump yeah. Indian drums and Trump switchblades, you know, you, you could probably get a pretty an interview that's going to fulfill all the needs and all the superiority complexes of your average CNN viewer. Like you could you could probably talk mm-hmm. to that guy about politics and maybe beat him. Uh, but if you want to learn what people in Michigan are voting for Donald Trump, well, then you need to go to the union halls. You need to go to the factory towns, the places that used to be factory towns. And they don't want to do that. I mean, I remember when I was out with John Daniel Davidson in, in Michigan and some of these places that had switched from Barack Obama to Trump. And previously it switched from Democrats to Reagan. Talking to folks, they were, the Democrats are saying, well, I, I don't want to trust you. What, what's your story here? What have you written? And I, and I had to tell these guys, like, listen, we... I flew here to Michigan not to tell write a story that I could have written from home. It's like find out what you actually think. Yeah. And uh, that's something that reporters do less and less because they, we've talked about this so many times in this podcast. They really think that they're just involved in a battle, good versus evil. And their job, just like big tech's job, just like the Democratic Party's job, is to destroy the GOP. You know what makes me angry, um, in addition to everything that's been mentioned so far, but what makes me particularly angry thinking about all of this is it's not complicated. It's not that difficult to understand. It's all super obvious actually. And like, if you're not, if you don't have the, the brain worms of the liberal <laughs> arts, like the liberal arts brain worms or the corporate media brain worms, um, 
or the brain rooms that have just been sort of absorbed by your mind through osmosis and this like neoliberal uh, late stage capitalism climate, <laughs> then it's really not difficult. Like all of this is super easy. All you have to do is know Trump supporters and like want to understand them. All you have to do is have those conversations. All you have to do is be capable of basic logic. And it's just like, I'm, I'm so sick. Or all you have to do as a journalist is actually do the job of journalism um, and, and report without fear or favor without purporting to do that um, and doing something very, very different. It's so it's all so easy. And then sometimes you see people um, who are capable of sort of like explaining this to the left, like be, um, you know, they'll, they'll sort of be praised as a voice of reason or Trump whisperers or Trump supporter whisperers. <laughs> or whatever. It's like, I get it. Like people have shared my articles sometimes been like very insightful. It's like, it's actually really not. It's really, really simple. All you have to do is talk to normal people. All you have to do is like be capable of putting two and two together. Trump whisperer. <laughs> she speaks the language of my fellow Americans. It's she like, can understand what they say through their brute grunting. <laughs> but, I, but it's like, it's so easy. It's really not that complicated. No, it's not. You just have to listen. You just have to listen. And you have to listen without intense and judgment. for me too. Yes, I'm it is. I'm talking all the time. <laughs> But it's difficult. But it's in like sometimes they'll listen, right? Like they'll go to their bar. Like you were just talking about. They'll talk to the guy on the side of the road with the switchblade and they might listen. It was a sweet switchblade, though. But they're judging, right? Like they're judging because fundamentally they believe that you are a bigot because they've conditioned to believe that you're a bigot by the entire establishment, yeah. by corporations, by their schools. That, it's called man in the street interviews, like the comedians do. Jim where the job is not to make you look smart. The job is to make yeah. you look dumb. It's a joke. But that that is taking the place. Of our entire news, That's our entire a great news thing. Insight, it's, Chris. I'm smart. I'm smart. Really not, not that like complicated. People says I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think that's a really, really good point. Um, but the, January 6th, from my perspective, is just like a. It's one of those like frustrating moments where we realize that everything is going to get worse no matter what happens, no matter what level of tragedy that we are in. Um, everything is just getting worse. Nothing is making things better. Um, and it, because even when Democrats slip up or lose power, like in Virginia, they are just like, well, you know, racism, racism. And I don't think we can underestimate the extent to which people around the country have been conditioned by K through 12 schools, by colleges, um, by pop culture to see a lot of uh, decent people and a lot of normal behavior that's not bigoted as bigoted. And uh, we're in a really, really dark place. Yeah, the bigotry you see is often like people calling calling black Democrat or Republicans Uncle Tom or yeah. like unbelievable stuff yeah. like that. But there are two good things that have come and that we've seen in the last year since January 6th. One is that it doesn't really seem to be sticking. Like, I mean, it, it's not mm -hmm. impacting elections and they're trying. It reminds yes. me of that time when when the GOP or when, when Harry Reid tried to make the entire election about Charles Koch. And like everyone was like, what? Koch? <laughs> Koch? The company? The mayor? And then the second thing that, that I remember from January remember 6th 2014? is that six speakers podium that we got for the office. What? When we took Pelosi's podium, brought it, brought it back to the office. <laughs> and I'm never giving that up. That's my favorite. That's my favorite memory. Is it? Mm -hmm. uh, well, <laughs> were you talking about 2014 about with Harry Reid? <laughs> uh, and Harry Reid ran in, I think, what, 2014? 14, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah entirely yeah. On, on the Koch brothers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was yeah. like... I don't know. I just I think this is a reach. No, the GOP but, has tried this for years with George Soros, and people are like, "Who? 
hold on a second. I got to pick up my kid from school. Like right. it's just gone. It's already gone. hundred percent. Yeah. Because, and, and again, it's not to say that uh, there aren't very legitimate complaints and areas of inquiry when it comes to George Soros. It's that the Beltway yeah. is so divorced from all. what voters feel is in their material interest. And ben talks a lot about this. They just haven't done anything that have helped people. No, the, the, the last two, the last two year, a year has been very bad for actually getting legislation passed that does anything to help folks. Democrats are limping into 2022. They didn't get their bill back better. They basically just helped inflation. They've got no answers. The border's a mess. And they're like, remember that riot? Let's all talk about that riot again. Mm-hmm. And and it's just it's these these kind of things are not going to help folks. And, you know, they're talking about filibuster reform now. They're trying to get rid of that in order to get their legislation passed. You know, there's an easier way to get your legislation passed. And it's called sit down with Joe Manchin and figure out a compromise. Yeah. Like this is actually you have the senators to do this. This is not this is a Democrat. Or Susan this Collins, for that matter. Yeah, or Susan Collins. <laughs> like, how can we get you to the table? I mean, I don't want to give them any ideas here, but <laughs> like. The impasse in Washington can be fixed, but they're unwilling to do it. Uh, and that's that's a sad – that's not sad. It's fine. I'm glad that they're not able to get anything done, honestly. But it's just it, – it's not a good electoral tactic, and it's a reflection of how our politics now reflects our media, reflects our politics, reflects our media. It's just this awful echo chamber. So, Chris, before we wrap up, um, uh, since everybody in the, the corporate press and the journalists who treat themselves as firefighters um, and soldiers are going to be sharing their solemn reflections on uh, January 6th, sixth, a little um, Freudian slip perhaps, uh, but where they were on January 6th. Um, they're thinking they're going to share their, they're going to share all their remembrances and talk about how brave they are. Uh, so Chris, so brave. why don't you tell us, uh, and I'll, I'll do the same after you, after you go, uh, what you saw on January 6th that hasn't been, uh, properly represented in the press in the, the last year. I think there were two things I noticed, uh, fairly quickly. And one was when I went up to the stairs, I went up to the east side, uh, the south side and the north side on the House and Senate east. The Going up those stairs, when you sit at the bottom of those stairs, because they're pretty tall, the marble stairs that go up there, and it was a windy day. Yeah. Things were calm. People were standing there and they could, you could tell there was commotion up there, but it's further away than you. Than you I, I lived here for 17 years, further away than I realized. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I remember... I remember going up there and seeing, holy smokes, this is not a commotion. This is, there are shattered glass. There mm-hmm. are people being pepper sprayed. They're screaming up here. And I saw uh, old men and old women going back and forth with tears in their eyes saying, stop, stop. This is not what we do. What are you doing? What are you doing at the front lines? And there's a couple of people there who were just hell bent on destruction. Um, and then I went down, to, I, I was like, I, I couldn't take it. And, uh, went downstairs, walked down the stairs again, and I saw this couple, and they was looking up there, and they said, and I could see someone screaming, and I knew he was screaming, come, come up, they're shooting us, they're shooting us, we need patriots. I got down to the bottom of the stairs, this couple was looking up at him, and the husband says, I don't know what he's saying, what is he saying, dear? And he's like, I don't know. And the at the bottom of the stairs, they had no clue yeah. what was going on. Now, you go around to the other side of the building, where they'd taken over the ball- uh, barricades and taken over the, the, the camera areas where they're supposed to have a video a video of the news crews during the inauguration. Yep. They were shaking that. That was pretty obviously a riot on the mm-hmm. National Mall side. But half that, half that group didn't even seem to really know what was going on. There was no communication. There was violence everywhere. And it was just, it, it was much... It, it's, it comes across in media reports as a concerted attack with all parties guilty. Yes, and yes. it was actually kind of just 
chaos where a yeah. lot of people had no clue what was happening. Yeah, I think I'll just echo that point. I saw something really similar with, um, you know, there's a, there's a group of the Trump supporters that are saying, this is not who we are. Um, I have a video on our YouTube, on the Federalist YouTube, of a bunch of people getting on top of a statue um, in front of Capitol, between the mall and the Capitol, and, you know, yeah, trying, Sherman. Yeah, yep. And they're waving Trump flags on it. And you have one guy saying, you know, you're acting like leftists. Like, this is not what they we were. do. Like, get down from there. Um, and you would see more and more of that. And what that meant is uh, there were a lot of regular people who got caught up in uh, some craziness. And the Capitol compound is huge. Like there are a lot of doors and what's happening on one side of the Capitol, you would not necessarily know if you're on the other side. You wouldn't even know if 150 feet away. Right. And the Capitol is huge. Right, exactly. And so I think there were there, there were very different things happening at very different places of the Capitol. There were certain doors where, as we've seen from footage, people are just walking through and other doors where there are people breaking windows and forcing their way through. Um, and that led to something that has been different than what was depicted in the media, Chris, as this, you said, uh, concerted attack. And there were a lot of people who were just confused and um, kind of rubbernecking the chaos and were there, maybe walked in thinking that it was fine, that it wasn't trespassing. Um, and, you know, you know, I mean, I knew from my time of being a reporter here, I didn't have my press patch. So I was like, I can't go into that building. But a lot of other people didn't think that yeah and in certain areas and earlier down in the day when i was at the march one thing that really stuck out to me that i don't think has been portrayed very well in the media is that this was not a tea party crowd this was not no. a uh, women's march crowd because both both tea party and women's march crowds are generally like middle class upper middle class, middle class and, yeah. and, and wealthy yeah the both sides this was the poorest collection of mm -hmm. people I have ever seen a poorest collection, particularly of white people I've ever seen in Washington, D.C. It was like uh, it was it was peak. It was, it was the lowest levels of poverty. It was people who were forgotten. It was people who were physically ill, people who were walking with canes, people who. Yes. It yes. was a forgotten class of Americans and it was not the kind of class that you ever see at a political rally. And there were people there, and a lot. I saw a lot of people thanking police and stuff as we walked by. These these people weren't ferocious, yes. but and yeah. I saw one lunatic going by in a scooter saying, "We're attacking the Capitol. We need reinforcements." And everyone was ignoring him, including me, because I didn't think it was true. Mm -hmm. And people were just like looking at him. People were just giving him space, like he was a lunatic. And he said, "We need patriots up there or something." And he was a lunatic. And it got to a point where there was nothing happening. I'd interviewed a bunch of people. I'd, I'd, taught, I'd taken it in. And I went to go to the Dubliner, but it was closed down because of all the left-wing riots that had been going on. Mm -hmm. And then I went over to home and I sat down to eat some lunch and I saw in the news, oh my gosh, they're starting to attack the Capitol. And then I ran back to, rode my bike back there. The, uh, it was just, it, like, we, like you just said, this was not monolithic in the least bit. It was not the average political protest in the first place. And then when the riot happened, it was, it was, it was well, I've seen a lot of riots in D.C. This one was a little different and more chaotic than, than most. Because I think it was maybe it's probably there's a giant marble building in the middle of it and the strange nature of the crowd. And there was this weird mix. And I don't know if you had the same sense, but there was this weird mix between people who were um, almost buoyant because they were scaling the walls of the Capitol and were on top of them. And people who were infuriated and in, I think, by pain, um, some emotional pain because 
because of what was happening to their country um, from their perspective. And it was like when people were scaling the walls and scaling the uh, inaugural scaffolding, a lot of people were really happy. They were like, you know, celebrating. I that couldn't they believe felt that they wasn't had, a mass casualty. I can't either. I, I, was, I was on top of it and it was going back and forth. And I was thinking, this structure is not built for this. I'm like, really this glad. is where we die. No, I'm glad I didn't know that you were up there because I was watching that the whole time thinking, um, I don't know if you remember what happened at a Sugarland concert um, almost a decade ago in Indiana. I think it was at the Indiana State yeah, Fair. Yeah, I was thinking about the, that, that collapse and I was thinking about the soccer stadium collapses mm-hmm. that you've seen throughout Europe. I was thinking, well, this is actually how like 75 people here get killed. So I did the left leaving a flashbang twice. But <laughs> Well, and so they were like, they were. <laughs> Oh, like the playbook guys were crying in the basement. Federos <laughs> <laughs> was out there on the ramparts taking video when they get tear gas, and Jake Sherman's like, "This is such a sad day." <laughs> well, so and I wasn't very far from there, and there wasn't uh, tear gas where I was. There were people scaling the the wall, but there wasn't tear gas, and that gets to the point about how there were very different things happening in different parts of the Capitol. And what's uh, the final point that I just want to agree with you on is uh, that there was just this this really there was a mix and there were people who had got, and you can see this footage actually, even in the HBO documentary, I think it's called four hours at the Capitol. That is, is very much takes the sort of Pelosi take on it and has some like genuinely, there are some awful things. Yeah. There are Capitol Hill staffers who were hiding in offices and like heard a gunshot and legitimately had reason to be scared. There were Capitol Hill staffers that were in freaking dark sin and weren't anywhere near the Capitol and can claim like some form of trauma. Um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Yeah. T- today she commemorated January 6th by laying a wreath at her own grave. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so, but anyway, all I was going to say is there were, Madeline, for instance, just interviewed Jenna Ryan, um, who I think came on a private jet to the to the Capitol or, and ended up in the Capitol riot and I think is, is going to prison soon over it. But there were people who were just like getting caught up in the moment. And I think that's really interesting because it speaks to this profound um, sense of pain that a lot of people who really do love their country and have seen it change very quickly um, and very dramatically. This is like that, what they, them getting caught up in this tapped into something that the media is not capable as we've just spent this entire conversation getting into is not capable of understanding because they fundamentally um, see everyone as, as racist bigots that would ever get caught up in something like that. And I think it's wrong and bad behavior and it led to something really tragic, but I think it's important to to understand that a lot of people, especially a lot of boomers, love this country, have seen it change very dramatically, very quickly, and um, are are reacting in in ways that will not always be uh, constructive. And Mm -hmm. it It took a lot of pressure to put people like Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump near the top of their tickets in 2016. And that pressure has not been let out. Right. And Bernie Sanders is another really great example. We've said this on this podcast before. The, uh, you know, was a good example, the teenagers um, that are involved, that were involved in some of the George Floyd rioting, they have been told 
by their authorities for their entire lives that they live in a, in a country plagued by systemic racism, that every interaction they have in this country is informed by this climate of systemic racism, that we are in the new Jim Crow era. That is what the president of the United States has implied and has said about particular voting legislation. And so, yeah, people are going to riot because, and they're going to do it on both sides. And uh, when you are making excuses for one side and and not the other you're just making things so much worse and the media is is fundamentally the party of the elites they are not partisan republicans or democrats they are partisan for the elites and um it's it's a profoundly dangerous and tragic situation for me in my mind january 6th will always be the day that we commemorate the gentiles and the heads of the the wise men of the kingdoms coming to see jesus christ in the manger and they're never going to take that away Beautiful sentiment. Christopher Bedford, Federalist Senior Editor, also at Right Forge. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Emily. You've been listening to another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, Culture Editor here at the Federalist. We'll be back soon with more. Until then, be lovers of freedom and anxious for the fray. <laughs>